0: Section four part four a narrative etc etc it was past two in the morning before we reached the shore and landed close to a house where we found a horse and a man in waiting for us I was taken into the house while they formed a sort of a litter for me with a bed fastened on the animal's back upon this I was placed and the party proceeded about two miles and a half, through a forest, to the magistrate's residence. On our arrival at the door I was taken off the litter, and the first object that met my view was Seraphina, who rushed into my arms, crying, For God's sake take me, for they have just killed my father, and burst into tears. The distress in which she was made me conclude that he was dead, and, when I was carried into a miserable apartment, Meanly furnished, I was met by her mother, to whom Seraphina exclaimed, Oh, my dear mother, this is the good Englishman come to cure my father. In the room there were only two beds and a leather-bottomed chair. Upon one of the beds was stretched the magistrate, covered with blood, and on the other the wounded pirate. Being placed by the side of the former, I gave directions to have him stripped, and then proceeded to examine his wound. One ball had slightly fractured his left arm, and passed into the shoulder, and another had lodged in the arm. The latter I easily extracted, and reduced the fracture in the best manner I was able, and bound up the wound. The wife and daughter remained silent but anxious, spectators of my operations, and, when I had concluded, asked me if the old man would survive, to which I gave a favourable answer, and then dressed the wounds of the other sufferer. The house, while I was attending to the wounded man, was thronged with the villagers, part of whom had come from curiosity to see me, and part to inquire after their magistrate. During these operations the pirates who had accompanied me had been absent, but on their return they told me that they had been burying Pepe, one of their comrades, who had been killed in the Rencontre. They had with them the two prisoners they had taken, bound hand and foot, and beside them, on the ground, were the bleeding corpses of the other two, mangled in a dreadful manner. One of these they threw across a horse, and taking the two prisoners, they proceeded towards the beach, leaving four men to take care of me. THE PRISONERS WERE FASTENED ON EACH SIDE OF THE HORSE TO THE DEAD BODY, AND IN THIS MANNER THEY MARCHED IN TRIUMPH THROUGH THE VILLAGE WITHOUT BEING INTERFERED WITH. AFTER THEY WERE GONE, I WAS REMOVED AND PLACED ON A BED IN ANOTHER ROOM, WHERE SERAFINA CAME TO ME. WHEN I HAD RELATED TO HER HOW I HAD BEEN REDUCED TO MY PRESENT MISERABLE SITUATION, I REMINDED HER OF HER PROMISE, AND ASKED HER IF HER SENTIMENTS HAD UNDERGONE ANY CHANGE she replied, Not at all. But, while her father's life remained in a state of uncertainty, she could not bear the idea of leaving him, strong as her affection for me was. And besides, she added, in your present state you are unfit to perform so long and so fatiguing a journey. I commended the first reason, and acquiesced in the last, and told her that I should, no doubt, be frequently sent ashore to attend to her father, who was in no real danger, and that a favourable opportunity might offer on one of those visits. I begged her, therefore, if she did really love me, to endeavour and make such preparations that we might be enabled to go at the shortest notice, adding, at the same time, that I had been robbed of all my money, and must depend upon her for finding the means for our journey. "'Do not let these considerations make you uneasy,' cried she, Pressing my hand in the most affectionate manner, And smiling in my face. I have resolved to accompany you, And will remove every obstacle in the best way I can. But caution is necessary, And therefore you must learn to be patient, And not think me insincere, Because my movements do not keep pace with your wishes. The horses had now returned from conveying the prisoners, And the men, entering to inform me of their arrival, interrupted our conversation. I bade Seraphina adieu, and, with a light heart, suffered them to carry me to the litter, which was made the same as formerly. Before we set off, the magistrate sent word to beg that I might be allowed to visit him on the following day. The body of the other men was now fastened across one of the horses, and the party proceeded towards the beach. When we arrived at the place where the boat was stationed, The dead body was cut from the horse, and flung into the sea. A line was then fastened to the neck and attached to the boat, for the purpose of towing it into deep water, where they intended to sink it, and had brought a stone with them for that purpose. It was at this time broad daylight, and we had scarce rowed a hundred and fifty yards from the shore, when we perceived a man, closely pursued by the inhabitants, rush towards the shore, plunge into the sea, "'and swim after the boat. "'The crew pulled towards him, and took him in. "'On inquiry he proved to be one of the chief mate's party, "'and they deliberately told him that he must die, "'pointing out to him, at the same time, "'the mangled body of his late associate. "'The poor wretch, seeing that he had only escaped "'from one set of barbarians to fall into the hands of a worse, "'burst into an agony of tears, "'and implored them to have mercy on him.' The inhabitants, in the meantime, demanded with loud cries that he should be delivered up, and the boat returned apparently for that purpose. But, after some altercation, they resolved to keep and murder him themselves, and again left the shore, with the determination to torture him in the swampy passage where they had already destroyed one victim. When they had arrived at the entrance of that pestiferous spot, they sunk the dead body, after inflicting some indignities upon it, and thence proceeded to strip their lately acquired prisoner, whom they lashed on the boat, gagged and pinioned, and pulled into the channel. The body of the miserable being was soon covered with mosquitoes and sand-flies, and he writhed with the agony of their stings. In this state they carried him to where a tree projected into the waters, on which they placed him, blindfolded, shot him, and then made the best of their way to the corsair. On their arrival they exultingly told their companions of their cruelty, not only what I had witnessed, but what they had inflicted on the other two captives, whom I had seen bound at the magistrate's residence. These poor wretches they had fastened to trees, and fired at them as targets, and one monster boasted that he had lost a bet of a doubloon because he had not killed his man first. Weak and fatigued as I was from want of rest, I WAS ORDERED TO ATTEND TO THE SICK ON BOARD. THE WOUNDED MAN, I FOUND, WAS NOW QUITE WELL, AND I ENDEAVORED TO IMPRESS UPON HIS MIND THAT HE OWED HIS LIFE ENTIRELY TO MY EXERTIONS, WHICH HE VERILY BELIEVED, FOR HE DECLARED THAT I SHOULD NEVER WANT A FRIEND WHILE HE WAS ON BOARD. HAVING PERFORMED THIS OFFICE, I dressed MY OWN WOUNDS, WHICH I FOUND LESS PAINFUL, AND ASSUMING A MORE FAVORABLE ASPECT. The captain came in, and examined them, and expressed a hope that I should soon be able to make the sail, and go up aloft, which I told him I should be able to do in three or four days. He then questioned me on the subject of the magistrate's disaster, and told me that I must pay every possible attention to him, as he was a very worthy man, and his best friend. In order to lull his suspicions, I pretended unwillingness to go so frequently ashore, and recommended him to send for a medical man, but he overruled my objections, and said that he was quite confident in my skill. On this day he was perfectly sober, which was seldom the case, and he began to display a feeling of kindness towards me, remarked I must be fatigued, and recommended me to take a few hours' sleep, a recommendation that I willingly followed, and slept till I was called up to dinner. After dinner I tried to continue making the sail with which he was highly pleased. I worked at it till near nine in the evening, when he told me that I had done enough and had better go to bed. At five o'clock on the following morning I resumed my labours, and by breakfast-time had got the whole put together. After breakfast I attended to the sick, as usual, and in the meantime the sail was hoisted up by the captain's desire, to see whether it would answer, and he expressed himself highly pleased with it. In the afternoon I was to visit the magistrate, but another event prevented me. About eleven in the forenoon there was a cry of a sail, and, notwithstanding my wounds, I was ordered aloft to look out and examine. With great torture and much difficulty, I reached my post, and discovered a ship close-hauled, standing towards land, with her larboard tacks aboard, and having the appearance of a merchantman. The moment I gave this information the schooner was got under way, and proceeded in chase. The motion of the vessel now became extremely painful to me, and I came down on deck, which the captain no sooner perceived than he rushed up to me, and beat me over the head and shoulders with the flat part of a cutlass, exclaiming, When I was on board an English man-of-war, if I had come down without orders, I should have got six dozen lashes. And I will serve you as your countrymen serve me. I was then forced up aloft a second time, and might have suffered harsher usage, but for the interference of some of the officers who interposed between us. In a few minutes the ruffian followed me up, and told me to examine and tell him what vessel she was. I endeavored to do so, as well as I could, and told him that it was a Dutch vessel, which he imparted to his crew, who gave three cheers. He himself was highly pleased at the intelligence, called me a good fellow, expressed his sorrow for maltreating me, and said the Dutch vessels were good prizes, as they always carried specie to purchase their cargo. I thought this a good opportunity to get released from my painful situation, and asked his leave to go down on deck, which he granted me. The Dutchman appeared suspicious of the corsair, and now endeavoured to bear away, but it was too late, for the pirate sailed very fast and was nearly up to him. To decoy them, English colours were run up and a gun fired, upon which they hauled up their mainsail, and tacked towards the corsair. The captain suspected that they meant to resist, and therefore hauled his wind until the Dutchman was within reach of the long gun, which he fired at him, pulling down the English colours, and running up the red flag at the same time. The shot struck close under his bows, and he instantly laid aback the main-topsail. When we were within hail, I was ordered to hail her in English, and desire the captain to bring his papers on board. The Dutchman was rather slow in obeying the order, and a volley of musketry was fired over their heads, which quickened their movements. When they came on board, they exhibited symptoms of the greatest terror, and their papers were taken from them and given to me to examine. It was in vain for me to plead ignorance of their language, as I was compelled to know everything. I therefore pretended to read them, and attempted to guess at their contents. The captain of the Dutchman was, in the meantime, interrogated as to what money he had on board, and the same threat held out to him that had been held out to the master of the zephyr. The pirate then went on board the prize, with a pilot and four of his crew, leaving the Dutch captain a prisoner on board the schooner, and immediately on his arrival they made sail, and both vessels steered for the harbour, but were prevented by the current from beating into the channel, and anchored without the reef for the night. Two carronades were then taken out of her and brought on board the corsair, and the captain was ordered to go to his ship where the pirate wanted him. I was compelled to accompany him in the boat, and, as we approached, one of the pirates on board threw a Dutch sailor into the sea. We picked up the poor wretch, and the Dutch captain put some question to him, at the reply to which they all gave a dismal groan, and exhibited the greatest terror and distress. When we reached the ship, the captain was ordered on deck first, which he no sooner reached than he was knocked down and threatened with destruction "'if he did not reveal where the money was concealed, "'and the most dreadful threats made "'because he denied that there was any. "'I was then appealed to and asked "'if I thought there was any. "'I answered in the negative. "'This seemed to pacify the pirate, "'who, however, said that he would detain the vessel "'and discharge the cargo, consisting of gin, butter, "'cheese, and bales of canvas, and then burn her.' and, with the most horrid imprecations, threatened the whole crew with death, if he found money afterwards. The mate of the vessel had, during the pirate's stay on board, denied all knowledge of the English language, and had, no doubt, by that artifice, escaped very many awkward questions. Of this circumstance, however, I was not aware, and addressed some questions to him, which he unwittingly answered me. His replies were overheard by the captain, who, always alive to suspicions, now suspected that he had had some object in view in concealing his knowledge of our language. I endeavored to protect the poor fellow, as I had been the cause of his detection, by saying that he spoke so badly that I could scarcely understand him, and that, therefore, he had only spoken the truth. My interferences saved his life but did not secure him from blows of which he received his share. The suspicions of the pirate had, however, been roused, and nothing could persuade him but that the whole of the crew understood English, more or less. In consequence of this unfortunate circumstance, the ship's cook underwent a great deal of rough usage and ill-treatment, because he could not answer in English to some questions which were put to him, and which the captain, who was drunk, insisted should be answered in that language at dusk i was sent on board the corsair for the night which passed without any remarkable occurrence at four in the morning the vessels weighed anchor and went to the mouth of the channel where they again brought to and waited for the sea-breeze as they could not enter without a leading wind at ten o'clock the sea-breeze blew rather fresh and they entered the harbour where the corsair was brought to an anchor "'and the Dutch ship run on shore. "'A boat was then dispatched for me, "'and on my arrival the captain, "'who had passed the night on board, "'desired me to go below "'and dress the wounds of one of the pirates "'whom he had punished for insolence during the night. "'When I went, I found the man had received "'a very severe cut with a sword on the side of the head, "'the wound extending from the left temple to the ear.' When I had cleaned and dressed the wound, the fellow seemed very grateful for my attention, and said that when he was well, he would assist me to escape. But I was too fearful of treachery to intimate a wish to that effect to him. After dinner I was sent ashore to the magistrate, but, on our way thither, became an unwilling participant in an unexpected rencontre. As our boat was approaching the entrance of the narrow passage, which I have had occasion to mention before, we perceived another with six men rowing rapidly towards us from the shore. Our first idea was that it was a man-of-war's boat, and the pirates made immediate preparation for defence, being apparently determined to sell their lives very dearly, consulting me upon what mode of fighting they should adopt, and insisting upon my being their leader. One of the men, however, recognized the chief mate as one of the party, and from their movements it appeared they were going to attack us. Knowing that indiscriminate slaughter would ensue, and that I should suffer the same as the rest, I consented to direct them how to defend their boat, and while considering on the best means of doing so, a musket was fired across our bows, and signals made for us to go to them. No time was to be lost, so I desired two of the men to lie down in the boat with their blunderbusses, and the other two to keep at the oars, having theirs ready by them to use at a preconcerted signal. Then, taking the helm in my hand, guided the boat direct upon the others. When I found that the boat had sufficient way upon her, I desired the rowers to desist and take their weapons, and be ready to jump into the other with their cutlasses the instant that they had discharged their pieces. My instructions were fully obeyed, and the result was in our favour. THE SUDDENNESS OF OUR ATTACK COMPLETELY DISCONCERTED THEM. THREE OF THEM FELL BY OUR FIRE. THE REST MADE BUT A FEEBLE RESISTANCE, TWO OF WHOM WERE INSTANTLY MASSACRED BY THE PIRATES, AND THE OTHER LEAPED INTO THE SEA, WOUNDED AS HE WAS, AND ENDEAVORED TO SWIM OFF, BUT WAS FOLLOWED AND TAKEN. WE ONLY LOST ONE MAN WHO RECEIVED A BALL IN THE HEAD, AND INSTANTLY EXPIRED. The unfortunate prisoner was interrogated as to the cause that had induced him to join the chief mate in his designs. He replied that he had left the Havana with no other view than to join the pirate, but having heard on shore of the unprovoked slaughter of their associates, they had determined to be revenged. When they observed the corsair bring in her prize, they knew that there would be frequent communications with the shore, and resolved to cut off the boat's seriatim, as fast as they were sent. He then declared that he had told them the truth, and hoped, that as he was not the instigator of the deed, they would be satisfied with having taken the lives of his companions, and spare his own. But the appeal was made in vain, for he was almost instantaneously stabbed to the heart by one of the crew. Thus did I become the unwilling actor in a scene of blood, and assist, by my advice, in the destruction of six of my fellow-creatures. I did then, and do now, often reflect upon it with horror, but I had no alternative, and must have been massacred myself had I not complied with the mandates of the ferocious wretches among whom it was the misfortune of my life to be thrown. On our arrival on shore, a hole was dug, and the murdered man buried. I was then placed upon a litter, as before, and taken to the magistrate's house. Serafina and her mother met me at the door, and seemed rejoiced to see me, particularly the former. I found the old man in a very favourable state, and, having dressed his wounds and informed his wife and daughter that there was no danger to be apprehended, retired to another room where Serafina joined me. To my inquiries she told me that she had made preparations for our departure, and had engaged a guide, who had undertaken to conduct us for a hundred dollars, and that in eight or ten days we should be able to proceed. She was in raptures at the prospect of going to England, but not more so than myself. The prize-master had been instructed to remain as short a time as possible on shore, and seeing that I had performed the service upon which I had been sent informed me he was waiting for me i begged a short delay which he with much and evidently sincere regret denied his ability to grant and i was consequently compelled to take an unwilling leave of my fair consoler no accident befell us on our return and as soon as we had arrived the whole affair of our rencontre was detailed to the captain who had been alarmed at the firing, and the success of it entirely attributed to the advice and skill of the Englishman. The captain appeared displeased when we first came on board, but this intelligence pleased him, and he told me that he had intended to punish me very severely for having told the Dutchman that he was a pirate. But on account of the services which I had rendered his boat's crew, he should forgive me and look it over. Yet, if ever I did so again, Nothing should save me. I now advanced more and more in the pirate's confidence, and hoped that this would at some time be favorable to my intended attempt to escape. Two small coasting schooners, which the captain had seized for the purpose, were at this time receiving the prize's cargo on board, to convey to the Havana for sale, and I was ordered to go and take account of it, as well as to superintend the unlading and make the Dutch sailors work. By two o'clock in the morning, until which time they kept constantly at work, the lading of the schooners was completed, and I returned on board to sleep. The following morning was a dead calm, and the sails of the Dutch ship were all unbent, and her top-gallant masts sent down over deck. About nine o'clock a breeze sprung up from the east, and soon after a large schooner hove in sight. I was ordered to the masthead, as usual, to examine her. "'and reported her to be a large coasting schooner, very full of men. "'The whole of the Dutch vessel's crew were then ordered on board, "'with the exception of the captain, cook, the carpenter, who was lame, and the little boy. "'Several guns were brought up out of the hold, and the ship prepared for action. "'The captain then went aloft himself, and soon discovered the schooner "'to be an old acquaintance, a fellow-pirate.' He, however, suspected the peaceful disposition of the approaching corsair, and asked me, in case of attack, whether it would be prudent for him to remain at anchor. I answered in the negative, and the vessel was got under way, and the Dutchmen informed that they would be expected to take an active share in the engagement. They remonstrated, and some even cried at the mandate, but this only produced blows, and they were obliged to take their station at the guns. The schooner, having hove-to in a wide passage through which the stranger was to pass, awaited her arrival. As she drew near, we perceived a white flag at the masthead as an amicable signal, which was answered by the red flag at the foretop masthead, and a Spanish ensign at the peak, upon which the other hoisted out and dispatched a boat with five men. When about musket shot from us, they paused as if in doubt, and the helmsman waved a white flag, to which the captain replied with a white handkerchief, and beckoned him on board. The boats then came alongside, the two captains recognized each other, and the stranger smiled at our warlike preparations. Both vessels then stood into the harbor, and came to anchor, and were no sooner moored than the officers of the other came on board the corsair, and were well entertained. Before they proceeded to carouse, the captain informed me I must go on shore to the magistrate, and take with me such medicines as I thought he might require for the next four or five days, as he should convoy the two small schooners with the Dutchman's cargo on their way to the Havana, and should not return for that time. I willingly obeyed this order, and was conveyed in the usual manner on shore, and from thence to the village. After dressing the old man's wounds, I had an interview, as usual, with Serafina. I informed her of the probability of my being absent for some days, and begged her to expedite the preparations for our departure in the meantime. She was proceeding to assure me of her willingness to do everything in her power, when a hasty messenger arrived, and brought orders for my instant return to the Corsair, in consequence of an alarming accident on board. When I arrived I found that the whole party had got extremely intoxicated, and the cry of a sail being made, the captain of the stranger had gone up into the rigging of his own ship to look out, and, having lost his hold, had fallen on deck and was much bruised. He seemed dreadfully alarmed, but I pacified him, telling him that there was no danger, and, having bled him, put him to bed. He was very grateful for what I did, and offered to exert his interest for my release. As I knew the application would be fruitless, and might lead to ill-treatment, I declined it. He then offered me money, which I also refused. The corsair now came to visit him, and the other begged I might be allowed to remain with him for this cruise, until he was recovered, pledging his word to bring me safe back but the other refused, on the plea that he could not spare me. After we had supped, the captain returned to his own vessel, taking me with him. Although during the day they had been upon the most friendly terms, and the stranger had received large presents of cheese, gin, butter, and even sails and spars, and almost everything he might have deemed necessary, yet so suspicious was the pirate of the other, having some sinister design upon him, that he took every precautionary measure in his power. Springs were put on his cable, the watch was doubled, the guns loaded, and the men ordered to lie with their arms upon the deck, which was cleared as if for immediate action. Whether it was that the other had really had any hostile designs upon the corsair, and was prevented from putting them into execution by the activity and watchfulness of his rival, or that the suspicions of the captain were unjust or ill-founded, I do not know, but both parties remained tranquil for the night, although both appeared to be on their guard. End of section 4, part 4